title of this message is the uh, Why Missional Communities Are Essential for Disciple Making. Uh, so you kind of know where we're going. Uh, and today we are continuing in the second part of this series called Fresh Start. And if for some reason last week you were gone, or you were one of the many people who were sick, or maybe you were one of the many people who were just falling asleep during my message, uh, here is what the series is about. And we'll just put this up here, and you could uh, pull out your notes and fill it in. And this is what this series is about, if you want to know what this is about. Fresh Start, it's renewing our commitment and aligning our everyday rhythms towards actually making disciples. It is renewing our commitment and aligning our everyday rhythms towards actually making disciples. This is what this series is all about. Uh, And if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, we have to understand that the the essential ingredient for not only being a disciple-making church, but also, uh, you know, just in, in, in its purest form, being a disciple is people living together as family, and we've said this a lot around here, is people living together as family and missionaries in the places where God has planted them. And so we, as Clarity, believe that disciple-making happens when we live life like family and live it as missionaries in the places where God has already planted us. You are in a place, you are in a place, you're in a neighborhood, you're at a workplace, you are where you're at, and God has you there for a reason. And so that's what the series is about, is about. In fact, we all know, and listen, you don't have to be someone who believes everything you've heard about Jesus and the Bible to know that being part of a community is essential to healthy life, right? This is something we all know. But not everyone, and this is the truth, not everyone feels like being part of a community is essential to healthy life, right? Not everybody feels feels that, and we'll talk a little bit of why, but not everyone feels like being part of a community of people is something that's essential for a healthy life, and, and if that's true, I just know that there's even much less people who feel that being part of a community is essential to your spiritual life, but it is. In fact, the point I want to make today is that it's absolutely essential. If you love and follow Jesus, if growing and learning and posturing your life so that you become more and more like Christ and accomplish the things that Christ wants to do through you in your everyday lives, it is absolutely vital for you to be in community, specifically a community on mission, or as like we call them, missional communities. Now, there are many people who feel like being in a community with others is optional, right? Or sometimes I've heard this, you know, yes, community is like an unnecessary evil, right? Uh, In fact, uh, there is a a researcher named Robert Putnam, who did a study on the effects of community, community and isolation on human beings. He concluded, uh, he, he wrote tons of books. Uh, one of his uh, most famous works is a book called Bowling Alone. Some of you, uh, if you're nerding out like that and into sociology, just check it out. It's, uh, it's, uh, and he wrote this book, and in this book, uh, some of these things that he said, he concluded that isolated people, in, in their study that they did, they found that isolated people are three times more likely to die than people who are embedded in community. Just, I mean, it was a scientific thing, okay? We're not talking religion here or whatever yet. It's just pure observable facts. Uh, But not just that. Here's what they also found, and I'll read from his work. He said this, People who had bad health habits, smoking, unhealthy eating, obesity, alcohol consumption, 
But strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had great health habits out jogging and eating healthy, but were isolated from others. Some of you are like, yes, I have permission to, no, no, no. But in other words, listen, it is better for you, at least, okay, this is my understanding. Uh, Based on his research, to me, it seems like it's better to eat at Dairy Queen with your friends than to eat rice cake patties alone. Is that, yeah, right? Yeah, you see some of you are like, I like where you're going, amen. See, that's a good amen point. Um, Back to the study. In another study reported by the Journal of American Medical Association, uh, there was this research project where it sounds insane that I guess people are always looking for opportunities to make money. But these people were willing to be infected with the common cold, right? And some of you are like, I just got it. You couldn't pay me enough money. (laughs) Uh, But here's what they found. Here's what they found. People with strong emotional and relational connections die Four times. Uh, did, not did. Oh, I wrote the word die. Mm. Uh, where's my copyright editor? I'm going to talk to the guy who writes my messages. Not teasing. Okay. People with strong emotional and relational connections did four times better off fighting illnesses. Relationally connected people were less susceptible, had less virus, and uh, I don't really don't know how they measured this, but they produce significantly less mucus than isolated people. That's like a, that's like a, and they, they did not stop at what they could try to test. I mean, it's just weird. All right. So like, uh, this was in the research paper, so this is not my joke, but you have to laugh because it's fun. So disconnected people are literally, literally snottier than connected people. <laughs> Good one. Yes, it's not my joke. If you liked it, it's mine, but anyways. In the research. So, okay, now back to Putnam's research. If you read his research, he basically is saying that if you make no other changes in your life, you don't start working out like me, and you don't start eating any better, but you join a community where you were previously not in community, you cut the odds of dying in half this year. So, point, if you like living... Join a community. <laughs> I mean, join one or, I guess, die. <laughs> you know, up to you. Now, uh, so these are simplified, you know, these are just simply documents of positive effects, of, of generally what it means to be in community and relationship with, with others and, and what it has on our physical bodies, okay? And I'm trying to make a point here because one of the things that we really do believe is that what is true about our physical and, and our everyday lives is also true about our spiritual lives. In fact, even more so. And so, if community has such a huge impact on our physical lives, imagine what a lack of community has. Or being engaged fully in community has in the depth and the ability for maturity of our spiritual lives. And this is what I want to talk about for the next 20 minutes or so. I want to make it abundantly clear that the quality of our commitment to discipleship is determined by the quality of our engagement to a community on mission. Our, the quality of our commitment to discipleship 
is determined by the quality of our engagement to a community on mission. Or, for clarity's sake, a missional community. And I can't think of any better illustration of this truth than something that the Apostle Paul wrote to a, uh, a group of, really it was a new church in this city called Rome, who were trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus and to pursue his calling on their life uh, as Lord and Savior and what it meant to make disciples. And here's what he wrote. It's very interesting what he wrote. Romans chapter 12, it says this. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function. I want you just to, if you tie, if you're, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, just highlight that. We'll get back to that in a sec. Special function, okay? So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Belong. Do me a favor. Would you say that word with me? Belong. 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 What a powerful word is the word belong. In fact, we all want to feel like we belong somewhere, if not specifically to someone, some people. And it's because that's the way God has created us. He designed us to be people who belong to something. And the problem is that we were ultimately created to experience belonging within a community on mission with God and his family, but we often settle for what for our time together I'm going to call pseudo-community. I don't want to call it fake community. That just seems too harsh. But definitely pseudo-community. Phil, I just looked it up on Google. Pseudo means fake. Okay, whatever, okay. But pseudo-community. And we often, we often chase after that. And it ultimately doesn't satisfy the deep thirst in our soul to be fully known and fully loved. This is what you know. And this is the reason why some of you, right, frayed the ends of your brand new jeans in high school. You know what I'm talking about? You got brand new jeans and you cut them and you frayed the end, right? Some of you did that. Hey, right, so the older, right, the older generation. Some of you are like, "No, we just rip holes in them now." <laughs> some of these kids, I'm like, "You get that at?" No, anyways, uh, let's not talk about that right now. Um, or it's the reason why some of you, uh, okay, these ex- examples are definitely dating me. Um, some of you wore hypercolor shirts. Some of you, who remembers hypercolor shirts? Right? How many of you don't remember? Who don't know what hypercolor shirts are? Please just be honest with me. Okay, this is really cool. It's not in my notes, but I just got to explain to you because you missed out. Hypercolor shirts, okay, were these shirts that literally changed color according to body temperature. And so we always used to make fun of like the sweaty kid because his color around his armpits were always different than the rest of his. Anyways, it was the best. It was. Huh? What? Was that me? Oh, <laughs> funny. I'm not even going to read the rest of these examples because now you're going to be thinking it's me. Or maybe I should. It's the reason why some of you wore track suits even though you never ran track. <laughs> right, track suits? 
But listen, we all want this sense of belonging, don't we? And if you're a follower of Christ, you need to know that this desire to belong is something that God put inside of you so that you would be drawn to being part. Uh, Listen, you need to know your desire for belonging exists primarily so you could be drawn towards being part of the body of Christ. If no one's ever told you that, some of you think that your sense of belonging is something God put in you so that you can eventually get married or that you could have a BFF or that you could finally get into, you know, whether your family will become something close to you and you could have these relationships that you always wanted but you never had with your family that was missing or you felt like you could marry into those kind of things. But ultimately, the deep sense of desire of belonging is supposed to lead you to what Romans 12 tells us, that you are part of the body of Christ. I want you to know that, if no one's ever told you that. That deep sense of belonging has actually found its, finds its fulfillment in the body of Christ. But, you know, there's a problem. Not only do we settle for pseudo-community, the other problem is that we, we try to fill the void of belonging by settling for a kind of community that appears to be on mission but only focuses on learning or just belonging. If you're not following with me, let me explain. Some people settle for kinds of community that focus on things which replace God's design for us to live out our special function. I mean, look at that verse, Romans 12, 4. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a what? Special function. Listen, this means that life in community is supposed to ultimately lead us to do something. Your life in community is ultimately supposed to lead you to accomplish something. This is why we call our communities missional communities. We have a mission because we believe that the ultimate goal of community is to lead people toward doing something with their faith. And that ultimately is making disciples. Unfortunately, people settle for communities that look like, I don't mean to pick on you if this was you, this was me, totally. I'm with you here, okay? I've done this, and I know some of you have. We settle for things that look like Bible studies, where it exists to primarily learn and, and be enlightened. Or we, we embrace we, we embrace, what is that word? I don't even know. Um, we embrace small groups, right? We embrace small groups which gather people to help them connect and, you know, make friends and, you know, like, and that's good. And while studying the Bible and connecting with others is, you need to hear me, is necessary. It's necessary in building of a missional community. The problem is that learning or just belonging was never the end game of God's design for our lives in a missional community or a community on mission. In fact, uh, one pastor defines it like this. He says, a community on mission expects that an individual is participating in the community to contribute something 
Whereas someone comes to a Bible study to consume something. Goes on and says, a community on mission also understands that the value of creating gatherings where people can belong, it understands that there's value in gathering people so they can belong, but it differs from the kinds of communities that exist to simply help people connect in the fact that it sees itself as a network of relationships with a common mission rather than being defined by attending an event. Missional communities gather, but gatherings have different purposes. There are also some myths that we believe that keep us from taking the next steps towards God's desire for us to be in community admission. Uh, We believe, some of us, we believe the myth that community is a big risk. Community is a big risk. Phil, if you only know what I know, if you only been through what I've been through, if you only knew what I've been through, I tried it and it... uh, but here, listen, the, the myth is that community is a big risk. The, the, the actual truth is this. Isolation is a big risk. Isolation is a big risk. And community is not just, uh, you know, community is, is, is really just, you know, uncomfortable. And maybe at best, overcomingly uncomfortable. In uh, his book, uh, there's actually a, a, an author by the name of Brett McCachran. He writes this book called Uncomfortable Subtitles, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. In fact, I have a link. Everyone should read it. It's actually a really great read. You should take a look at it. A link in your notes there. Uh, but he writes this. I'm just going to read this from a part of his book. He says this. There are some weird people at church. Some of you should have said Amen. <laughs> If you spend any amount of time in a church, you know this. Some of the weird church people types I have had the hardest time with over the years include the over-aggressive huggers who always bypass side-hugging for the full-on hug. The under-aggressive people who never know whether to hug you or shake your hand. Hey, how you doing? Uh, um, hmm. <laughs> the baby boomer. Ooh, I'm going to pick on y'all who isn't confident enough to dole out wisdom to millennials like me. I didn't write this. I'm just saying. The know-it-all in the life group who mansplains, I don't even know what that word is, mansplains everything in a condescending manner. Does anyone know what mansplains? The external processor who takes up precious social energy by working out meandering thoughts out loud. Odnasium, I'm so guilty. The church lady who manages to ask horribly offensive and personal questions under the guise of a kind-hearted concern. You know, I'm just concerned about you. <laughs> the sweaty-handed people. Why did he put this in here? The sweaty-handed people who lay their... Ent- they can't even help that, dude. Okay. The sweaty-handed people who lay their entire damp palms on your shoulder when they pray over you. I don't know. I Whatever. Okay. The overly expressive lady who injects bursts of interpretive dance into worship, sometimes with flags like sword of Pentecostal drill team. We don't have those here, but if you'd like to sign up, we have a team led by me. Um, The person that we don't really, if you're visiting, we don't. I'm seizing. It's a joke. You can't tell. Uh, The person who frequently weeps or lies face down on the floor during worship, making you feel like an emotionless, fake Christian. (laughs) Okay. 
the FOMO church members, fear of missing out church members, who say they'll be at every event, but often flake out at the last minute because something comes up. <laughs> we all know this, but, oh yeah, bro, I'll be there, bro, I'll be there, bro. Hey, where are you? Oh man, just had a hard day. Um, the person who has shaken hands with you 12 times but still can't remember your name. The guy who thinks every discussion about, among men must involve meat, beer, cigars, and or every man's battle. That's a book. Uh, the I'm not your typical Christian churchgoer who go out of their way to cuss and show you their tattoos. I know a lot of those peeps. They're my friends. It's my wife. No, I'm teasing. Is she here? No. I'm kidding. She doesn't have tattoos. Get it? Then you I'm teasing. I'm going to pay for that one later. Anyone who talks about the joys of doing life together, bro. Okay, so uh, he, the list could go on. I'm still reading his book here. And I, it's really good. I'm the first to admit that my quirks would probably show up on someone else's list. The point is we should not expect our church or any church to be free of people who annoy us. And that's a good thing. You hear that? It's a good thing. He's right. The reality of God's family is that people will have different backgrounds and personalities and opinions. They will clash. It will be messy. It's a huge challenge committing to a family like this, but it is not optional. Adopted sons and daughters of God can't just throw in the towel and retreat to our just-like-me friend groups and homogeneous cliques. We must lean into the awkward conglomeration of people who comprise the church. I read that and I was like, bro, you hit it right. Is it the nose or the head? I forget. What is it? Nailed. I nailed, nailed it. Nailed it. Thank you, relevant millennial. <laughs> and I get it. Listen, I get it. For some of you, the idea of getting involved in a community, much less something called a missional community, ugh, what is that? Sounds like a big risk. But listen, isolation from a community on mission, and I want to talk to those of you who have, are families, because some of you are like, well, you know, my wife and I, or my family, we do life, and listen, Isolation is something that can totally happen when you selfishly think that you're building community with just your indigenous family. If you don't believe me, ask, ask the children who had to suffer communityless life in the name of their family saying, well, we just have our family. That's called Waco, Texas. That's called, crazy people do that, Okay. It's more than just your family. It is including your indigenous family. But listen, isolation outside of community is much bigger of a risk than sometimes the temporary awkwardness of life on community, on mission with the church. So, community on mission is essential for disciple making. What are the next steps? First, we need to accept that community is messy. 
I get it. You get into a community with people, and sometimes you get this romanticized idea of what community truly is. You show up to a Clarity Church missile community, and then you find out automatically it's difficult. There's somebody who's way too chippy. There's someone who's maybe too scratchy. I don't like their politics. I can't believe a church like this. Someone exists that actually says that. Like, all they believe. Did you see their face on Tommy Hyde Times? Pastor Phil, are you on Facebook? Did you see that person's post? And of course, I tell them, like, first of all, that's one of the reasons why I'm not. So, no, I didn't. Tell me what it says. It's like, okay. So what? Well, believers. I mean, I thought you believe the Bible. I don't like the theology. I don't know how they talk about their faith. They talk too much. They never talk. They're too sensitive. They're too millennial. They're too judgmental. Jesus community doesn't mean you get to be with people who are easy to be with. Jesus community doesn't mean you get to be people who are easy to get along with. What it does mean is that you get to be with people who have been forgiven by Jesus just like you, and together you are helping each other learn to love and live like Jesus loved and lived. Except the community is messy. Second thing, commit to a strategic process. It's one thing to believe in what the scripture says regarding the imperative to be in community and others. In fact, the most popular verse, and really, you have to out-argue this passage of scripture when it talks about the need for community. It says this, Hebrews 10, 25, 23-25, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And how do we do this? Via Twitter? No. Let us not neglect our what? Meeting together. And this wasn't in 2019. Paul understood that this is a problem that has existed since the beginning of the church. People will choose to try to not be part of community. So he says, as some people do. I'm going to be real with it. I just know after a message like this and after this series, when we get on the other side of this series, I just know that there's some of you who are going to continue to attend and not be part of community. Totally get it. Some of it's because you want. Some of it's because it's your literal life circumstances. Like maybe you live like buttload far away, but you actually love this church. That's totally fine. I get that. But if you don't, (laughs) what's your excuse? And some people are going to, I get that, but it says here, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. It's one thing to actually It's one thing to believe what the scripture says about community. It's another thing to actually have a plan to make this happen. What's your plan? What's your plan? Let me say it nicer. Not, I want to get, hey, hey, what's your plan? Like, what's your plan? Full disclosure, I know this. Some of you know this. There are many Many, I have a library full of ways that you can organize the books written on the way you can organize people in community. And they all don't like each other. (laughs) 
And there are many ways church organizes themselves to make disciples. I have books and books and books that talk about it, and they all contradict one another. And sometimes I wonder, like, does anybody, like, read the Bible at all? We know. But here's how we do it. That's all I could say. We build community. We pursue making disciples through missional communities. This is what we do. This is where we're going. And if our approach to discipleship through missional communities is something that you feel strongly against, listen, we are not offended. I'm not offended. There are plenty of churches out there that could give you what you're looking for. But, if you are someone who loves and follows Jesus, I implore you, I implore you to commit to some strategic process that finds you a year from now loving Jesus more, loving others more, and actually making disciples more. Like, seriously, I I long this for you. If you love Jesus and you have committed to follow him, this is what I pray for you, whether it's here or somewhere else. Make some strategic plan. Find a strategic process. Because genuine community never happens accidentally. And your time and affections will always try to steal you away from from community because community is messy and it's hard work. That's why you have to have a strategic process to make living in community on mission with others happen. And listen, if you already have that, awesome, great. Let's grab lunch. I want to learn from you. Seriously, I do. I'll buy. But 99% of us need a process that is set up for us already to help us engage in biblical community. And listen, We as a church and and a lot of our leadership, we've been laboring for over the past four years. I've drugged people away from work and took them to Chicago to go to conferences. I made them go to week-long things and we've we've succeeded and we failed. We watched videos. We've been learning and trying some things out and failing. We spent the last four years trying to learn what it means to have missional communities here in the West Twin Cities. And listen, we are excited to get a fresh start at launching new communities that have a strategic process for leading us towards disciple-making. We're totally excited about that. And listen, I want you to be a part. I, I seriously, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part. If no one's ever asked you to be a part, I want you to be. Can I, can I look at you through, through the lights? And catch, can I catch your eyes so you can... Know that you, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be a part of a community on mission. Like, I, I literally want all of you, I want you all to be part of it. Like, I'm personally inviting you. Like, this is not like a, a big room where I can't know the people I'm looking at. I am looking at all of you and I'm saying, I would love if you would be community on mission because that's how we're going to make disciples. I promise you. There will never be a time in the history of our church like this. I believe it. 
Listen to me. I don't think there will ever be a time in the history of our church like this one. And I don't think there will ever be any other opportunity you will get in another church where you will find yourself being part of something for the first time. First time. And being part of the change that we see of the local church actually making a difference to lead people who are far from him to be drawn near to him. There will never be a time like this in the history of our church than right now. You could jump in right now or you could be a late adopter. That's fine too. But you could, you could join us on this journey of helping us and being part of disciple making. I guarantee you. I just know the other churches. Nothing against them. They're just too big. They've been around for too long. They have established leaderships. They can't change on a dime. And there's people who, you know, has to take board vote and all that kind of... They can't do... We just said, let's get rid of all and start all over again. Let's get a fresh start. We've learned some lessons. And so let's just rearrange this again. Some of our groups were too homogeneous. And some of our groups were just too comfortable. And we needed to just... ah. Figure that, and then let's just begin to share the knowledge of what we've learned over these past four years. Because it's making a difference. It's making a difference. And we want to make more of a difference in the places we're planted. So, here's what I want you to do. If you want to make more disciples and be part of what God is leading clarity towards in accomplishing his mission of making disciples by sending us as missionaries into the places we are planted, at the end of our gathering, uh, you'll find some Poster boards out there. You probably already saw them. Um, one will have the heading every other Wednesday, 6 p.m. AP. I think it says Wednesday. It's actually every other. And uh, the other will say every other Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. And I want you to give us your name. Uh, some of those names are already in there because some people have emailed us. But put your name. And if we don't have it, put your first and last name and give us your email. That'd be helpful, I think. Um, and we will contact you this week to begin coordinating the real. It's going to take some coordination, but take the, the, the coordinating the relaunch of our two missional communities. And all communities will be held. And I'm going to talk more next week and the week after. We're going to talk about what exactly the nuts and bolts of, so you know what to expect. Um, but uh, here's what you need to know. They're going to be held at my home, uh, both of them, which is literally 3.4 miles this way, northwest, Okay, 3.4 miles from here. Okay, so if you made it here, you could drive just north of here. We're actually almost equidistant from 610 north as you went south here, okay? Uh, that might not be true, but I'm just, it sounds good to me, so I'll just make it up. And I know, I know some of you are going to have questions like, okay, what, what Wednesday are you starting? Uh, what Friday are you starting? I get that. Uh, some of you, you know, because you're not afraid of communities, you're like, can I go to more than one? <laughs> uh, right now, I'm just going to ask you to do one, just one. Um, you know, what about kids? You know, what are you going to do with kids? And, and, you know, I can't explain how it works, but yes, kids are invited. And, and like, if you're thinking, like, oh, I don't know how it's going to work. It's invited. It, it works. Okay, so just let you know. 
Uh, and what exactly do we do as a missional community? I'm going to talk about that exclusively starting next week. Like, what is the rhythms of a missional community? Why is it distinctly different than maybe the communities that you were part of? Or, or maybe, maybe it isn't. Maybe you came from a real healthy church that didn't call it missional communities, but you're actually accomplishing the, the, the role of making disciples through smaller communities, not lining people up in chairs but actually supporting one another in speaking the gospel. And now I'm giving next week's message away. But so you got to come back, right? I'm going to talk about that next week. And, you know, these are all questions we will answer over the next two weeks. But for now, here's just what I want you to do. I want you to make a decision. Just take a next step. Just not asking for the next 10 years of your life. I'm just asking you, and, and I'm even asking just for a hopeful decision. Like, I don't know how in the world this is going to work, and it actually can't, but I'm going to go ahead and just put my name on that box. I'm just asking you to take the next step. Take the next step. Just see. I, I, here's what I believe. For some of you, you look at your schedule and you're like, that just doesn't fit. I just want you to just take the next step and just see if God doesn't begin opening doors. Okay? Just no, low shame. Just commit to something. And uh, if you can't make a decision today, you can always email us, contact. Some of you did that actually after last week's message. That's fine. But I want you to take the next step in being willing to at least get more info. And then I want you to at least mentally and emotionally begin thinking about what it would mean to rearrange your life, reorganize your schedule to be part of something that we believe is essential to making disciples, that makes disciples.